السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم والصلاۃ والسلام علی رسوله الكریم رب اشرح لي صدری ويسر لي امری واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي اللهم اهد قلبي وسدد لساني واسرل سخيمه قلبي امين يا رب العالمين So alhamdulillah, in our previous class, we learned about the obligation of hajj and the reward of hajj. And today, inshallah, we'll learn about uh, the different types of hajj as well as miqat. Miqat as in from which place is it that you put on the ihram. All right, inshallah. Last time we learned about hajj performed by a child. That if a child performs hajj, then yes, there is reward for the child and also... for the parents correct but does the child have to perform hajj again once they're older yes they do hmm? they do so basically if a child performs hajj before puberty then that is like a bonus for them but after puberty is when hajj is an obligation on them all right and they have to fulfill that obligation because in a hadith we learn that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that whichever child performs hajj and then he reaches puberty then he has to do hajj again so the hadith is very very clear and this hadith is an authentic hadith which has been reported by bayhaqi as well as at-tabarani so now inshallah we'll begin from bab number 5 bab fard mawaqit al-hajj wal-umrati the obligation of the mawaqit of hajj and umrah mawaqit is the plural of miqat And miqat is basically from the root waqt, right? Waqt means time. So miqat is basically the specified, the appointed time for doing something. Okay? The appointed time for doing something. In the Quran, the word miqat is used for the appointment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made with Musa alayhi salam on the Mount Tur. So Musa alayhi salam was to reach a certain place at a certain time. So this is a miqat. Now, miqat is of two kinds. One type of miqat is that which is related to time, and the other miqat is that which is related to place. So basically, the one which is related to time is that when a certain time comes, you are required to do something. And the miqat which is related to place is that when you reach a certain place, then you are required to do something. So for Hajj and Umrah, Mawaqeet al-Hajj wal-Umrah, remember that for Hajj and Umrah, there is a Miqat. And this is an obligation. Now what does it mean by the Miqat of Hajj and Umrah? First of all, when it comes to Mawaqeet Zamaniyyah, which is basically the Miqat related to time, then what is the time for Umrah? What is the fixed specified time for Umrah? There is no fixed time. Umrah can be done when? Any time of the year. But when it comes to miqat of hajj, is there a specified time of hajj? Yes, there is. There is a specified time by which you must put on ihram, right? And then you are in the state of ihram, meaning you are in the state of hajj until a certain time. You cannot leave before that, correct? And basically, the miqat for hajj is from the beginning of the month of shawwal. Okay, from the beginning of the month of shawwal until the day of Eid. So basically, shawwal, what comes after shawwal? Dhul Qa'da, and then Dhul Hijjah. 
right? So basically, these two months have been given because people would travel from far off places. So this was the earliest that you could begin the intention for Hajj. Not before Shawwal, because that's too early. And when it comes to Mawaqeet Makaniya, meaning what is the place where you must begin your Hajj from, meaning you must enter the state of Ihram. What is that place? Then that place is the same for Hajj and Umrah. Mawaqeet Makaniya. Right? Makan as in place. So what are these places where if you're traveling towards Makkah from, then you have to put on the Ihram. So really that depends on which side a person is coming to Makkah from. Right? If they're coming from the north, then it's a different place. If they're coming from the south, it's a different place. If they're coming from the east, it's a different place. If they're coming from the west, it's a different place. So inshallah, today we will look at different mawaqit. And remember that there are five mawaqit makaniya. Okay, how many? Five. Five mawaqit makaniya. Just to have an idea, do you see Makkah? Okay, do you see Medina? Yeah, where is Medina? To the north or the south of Makkah? North of Makkah, okay. Above Medina, alright, you see Jordan, Amman, Syria. Yeah, so that is Sham. That area is called Asham. Alright, so now you have Medina and you have Asham. Okay, now to the right, you see Iraq, north, northeast. Yeah, you see Iraq? Okay, so there is Iraq also. Now, if you go down, do you see Yemen? All the way, right? To the south, right? Okay. And also to the right side, by the Persian Gulf, you can see Bahrain and all of these areas, right? So now keep this in mind when we look at the Mawaqit. So I want you to keep this in mind, what is to the north, what is to the south, what is to the east. So remember, there are five Mawaqit, and these have been specified in the hadith, which inshallah we'll be looking at today. So if you understand this today, inshallah, studying the hadith will become very easy for you, inshallah. So first of all, when you look towards the north, you have, of course, before Asham, you have the people of Medina. All right. So the people of Medina, for them, the Miqat is Zul Hulayfa. And a lot of times when you are, of course, when you go to Medina and then from there you go for Umrah again, you stop at Zul Hulayfa. That's where you put on ihram. So for the people of Medina, the miqat is Zul Hulayfa. Then for the people of Sham, Sham are sort of northwest. So the people of Sham, the miqat is Juhfa. Then for the people of Najd, Ahlu Najd, it is Qarnul Manazil. Then for the people of Yemen, who are coming from the south, it is Yalamlam. And then for the people of Iraq, it is Dhatu Irq. Alright? Now inshallah I will show you a map from where it will become clear. But once you have it all written down. So basically, remember that people traveled to Hajj even before the Prophet ﷺ. Correct? Because Ibrahim ﷺ started Hajj. So depending on where people were coming from, they would put on the ihram. So these were sort of main roads that led towards Makkah. But on the road, there was a certain point where you had to put on the ihram. So some of these names are, you know, villages, cities, and some of these names are actually changed now. They're no longer used. 
you know, for example, Juhfa was a village, but it's no longer there. Yalamlam, they say it's the name of a mountain. Okay, now you can see on the map, you see where Makkah is. Now these are the exact locations. As you can see, Zul Hulayfa is quite far, alright, from Makkah, but it's close to Medina. And then you have Juhfa, alright, and this was for the people of Sham and also for the people coming from the sea, alright, crossing the Red Sea. And then you have Yalamlam to the south, that is also sort of close to the sea. And then you have Qarnal Manazil and Zatu Irq. And initially, Zatul Irq and Qarnal Manazil, there was only one Miqat. But then at the request of the, of the people of Iraq, basically, the Prophet ﷺ allowed them to uh, put on the Ihram over there. Uh, because then they would have to go out of their way, basically, to reach the other Miqat. So, five Mawaqit. Clear now? Okay. Okay, people coming from Jeddah. Hmm. Jeddah is where? This is a, a matter of difference of opinion, which inshallah we'll look at. People living within this area, where do they put on ihram from? Right? This is a question. So inshallah we will discuss that. There is a separate bab on that. So now with this image clear, let's uh, study the hadith. حدثنا مالك بن إسماعيل حدثنا زهير قال حدثني زيد بن جبير أنه أتى عبد الله بن عمر رضي الله عنهما في منزله وله فسطات وسرادق. So Zayd bin Jubair said that he went to visit Abdullah ibn Umar رضي الله عنه in his house and he had tents made of hair cloth and other large tents around them. فسألته من أين يجوز أن أعتمر. So I asked him from which place it was permitted for me to do Umrah. Meaning, where do I put on the ihram? قَالَ فَرَضَهَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ He said the Prophet ﷺ specified that place. He made that place obligatory, meaning the miqat. And what is that place? لِأَهْلِ نَجْدٍ قَرْنًا For the people of Najd, he specified قَرْن. قَرْنَ زِنْ ذَاتِ قَرْن Okay? وَلِأَهْلِ الْمَدِينَةِ ذَا الْحُلَيْفَةِ And for the people of Medina, it is ذَا الْحُلَيْفَةِ وَلِأَهْلِ الشَّأْمِ And for the people of Asham, الْجُحْفَةِ So we see in this hadith that these mawaqeet were specified by who? By the Prophet ﷺ. And what's amazing over here is that if the Prophet ﷺ specified these mawaqeet, for who? For the people of Sham, for the people of Najd, and for the people of... Medina. Remember that Sham was not conquered yet. Alright? Asham was conquered much later at the time of Umar radiallahu anhu. So the people of Asham, basically Rome, they were not Muslim. So in this is actually what? A prediction. That people of that area will become Muslim and they will travel for Hajj. And when they travel for Hajj, this is where they will put on the ihram. Isn't that amazing? In the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ, you know, he went to Tabuk, alright, and Tabuk is close to the border with Sham. But remember that even then, the local tribes over there, and even, and the Romans, they had not embraced Islam. The Arab tribes, they made peace with the Muslims, but not all of them embraced Islam. So in this is really a prediction. So we see over here that in this hadith specifically, three mawaqit are mentioned. And basically, whichever direction a person is coming from, they will enter the state of ihram from these places, all right? from these mawaqid.
The word farada indicates that it is wajib, this is an obligation. So it doesn't matter whether a person is coming by air or they're traveling by road. When they reach these places, then they must put on ihram. And it is not correct to put on the ihram afterwards. Now, if a person misses it, right? If a person misses it, then what? Then they have to come back to miqat and start again. Alright? They have to come back to miqat and start again. And others say that if it's difficult, if it's impossible for a person to come back to miqat, to put on their ihram again, then this is a wajib that they have missed. And so they have to give the fidya, which is that they have to slaughter an animal in Makkah, and the meat is to be distributed amongst the poor of Makkah. Just as other obligations of hajj, which inshallah you will learn about, that if a person is not able to fulfill an obligation, then they have to give the fidya. Now, if a person does not intend to perform hajj and umrah, but they're visiting Makkah, do they still have to wear ihram? No, they don't have to. Is it sinful for them? No, it is not sinful. Likewise, if a, if, if a woman is traveling for Umrah, and before she reaches the Miqat, she begins her menstrual cycle, then she will also enter into Ihram at the Miqat. Inshallah, we will discuss that more later. And uh, remember that it is better to wear the Ihram and make the intention at the Miqat. That is the best thing to do. That you stop at the Miqat, you wear the Ihram. This is of course for the men. And you begin your talbiya from the miqat. But if a person is not able to do that, let's say you're on a plane and you cannot possibly put on the, you know, change your ihram in the plane. Some people do that, mashallah. But if everybody starts doing it, then people won't be able to. So is it permissible to change the clothes from before and then begin the intention at the miqat? Yes, that is permissible. Okay, that is permissible. However, it is not correct to begin the ihram, meaning enter into, you know, start saying the talbiyah before reaching the miqat. A man can wear the ihram sheets before reaching the miqat, but the intention that now I'm beginning my hajj should only begin where? At the miqat. There is a narration in which we learn that once a man came to Imam Malik in Medina and he asked him that where should I put on my ihram from? Meaning, from where should I begin my intention? And he said that, you know, you're leaving from Medina, so you stop at Dhul Hulayfa, because that's where the Prophet ﷺ started his hajj. And he said that, no, I want to start from the mosque of the Prophet ﷺ. And Imam Malik said, do not do that. Because I fear, lest a fitna will befall you, a trial will befall you. And the man said that, what's the big deal? It's only a few miles. But Imam Malik said that what is a greater fitna than you thinking that it's okay for you to oppose the way of the Prophet fitnatun. That those who oppose the command of the Prophet should fear lest a fitna should befall them. So the intention should be made from where? Miqat. Bab qawlillahi ta'ala, the statement of Allah the Exalted, وَتَزَوَّدُوا فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ التَّقْوَى And take provision, for indeed the best provision is taqwa. Over here, Imam Bukhari is indicating that when a person goes for hajj, they should go prepared. 
they must take their zad with them. Zad is basically what a traveler takes with him on a journey. Food supplies, clothing, etc. So, tazawwadu, meaning go prepared. This verse is from Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 197, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَتَزَوَّدُوا فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ التَّقْوَى وَاتَّقُونِ يَا أُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ The ayah is longer, but this is a section from that ayah. Now, what is interesting over here is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands people that take the zad with you, and the best zad is taqwa. Take provisions with you, and the best provision is fear of Allah, in simple words. So this means that there are two types of provision which a person must take with him when going for hajj. One is provision for the body, and the other is provision for the heart. Provision for the body is what? Food, ride, etc. And provision for the heart is taqwa. And Allah says that the best provision is taqwa. Meaning, the provision of the heart is far more important. Because when it comes to the provision of the body, I mean, you make do. Correct? But if you're not spiritually prepared, then it's difficult. Then hajj can be very difficult. So, and taqwa is to carefully obey the commands of Allah and to carefully refrain from the prohibitions. And remember that part of this taqwa is that a person should know how to perform hajj. What they're supposed to do, where. Right? Because if you don't know what you're supposed to do where, then you're going to miss. Like for example, if a person does not know about the intention for hajj, that it has to be made at the place of miqat, then they're missing out on something very important. So part of taqwa is to gain knowledge also. حَدَّثَنَا يَحْيَى بْنُ بِشْرٍ حَدَّثَنَا شَبَابَةُ عَنْ وَرْقَاءَ عَنْ عَمْرِ بْنِ دِينَارٍ عَنْ عِكْرِمَةَ عَنْ ابْنِ عَبَّاسٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا قَالَ كَانَ أَهْلُ الْيَمَنِ He said that the people of Yemen, they would يَحُجُّونَ They would do hajj وَلَا يَتَزَوَّدُونَ And they would not bring any supplies with them. وَيَقُولُونَ And they would say نَحْنُ الْمُتَوَكِّلُونَ We are mutawakkilun. We are people who do tawakkul on Allah. But then, of course, when you're hungry, what are you going to do? فَإِذَا قَدِمُوا مَكَّةَ So when they would reach Makkah, سَأَلُوا النَّاسِ They would beg the people. فَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى So Allah revealed, وَتَزَوَّدُوا فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ التَّقْوَى Take your supplies with you, and the best supply is taqwa. رَوَاهُ بْنُ عُيَيْنَةَ عَنْ عَمْرٍ عَنْ إِكْرِمَةَ مُرْسَلًا Now, we see that in this hadith, that taking provision with you is not contrary to tawakkul. Tawakkul is what? Reliance on Allah, right? So it doesn't mean that you do nothing. You don't prepare. And if you are preparing for hajj, then it doesn't mean that you are not doing tawakkul. Alright? So adopting means is not contrary to tawakkul. Begging is contrary to tawakkul. Or contrary to taqwa. Because khayr zad taqwa The best zad is taqwa. And part of that taqwa is that you don't beg people. Now, a little bit about tawakkul. Remember that tawakkul includes four things. Because... A lot of people are not clear about what exactly tawakkul is. We usually go to two extremes. One is that we, you know, either we don't, we do nothing, and we say Allah's enough, right? Or we uh, do, you know, we we over exert ourselves in the sense that we we start panicking and we get anxious. 
So a person needs to come out of both of these states. So remember that tawakkul includes four things. The first thing is sidqul i'timadi ala Allah. True trust upon Allah. That you have full faith in Allah, not in yourself. Like for example, you are going to write an exam or you are going to do something very difficult. You have to do a very, you know, challenging presentation. You go for a job interview. You start a new project. So you don't put your trust in yourself that, you know what, I am capable and I can handle this. Because when you say to yourself, I'm capable, I can handle this, you know that you're lying to yourself, right? Because no matter how prepared you are, you know your weaknesses, correct? So you put your trust in who? Allah, that He will enable me. He will help me. Secondly, ma'athiqatibi, while relying upon Him and holding on to Him. What does that mean? That then you also ask Allah for help. That oh Allah, help me with this. That you say Bismillah when you're doing your work. You do dhikr of Allah. You ask Him for help. So, you know, we need to see that how much dhikr are we doing? How much dua are we making? Right? Because you have to hold on to Allah properly also. Then the third thing is وَحُسْنَ الظَّنِّ بِاللَّهِ That you also think the best about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That don't think at that time, what if my du'as don't work? What if I fail at this? What if this is a complete mess? No, think, the expect the best from Allah, assume the best from Allah, that Allah will help you. And whatever that Allah decides, at the end, whatever that happens, will inshallah be best for you. Whether you get that job or you don't get that job. Whether that presentation goes well or it doesn't. Whether the exam goes well or it doesn't. Regardless of what happens, inshallah, things will be taken care of. They will work in your favor. And the fourth thing is fi'lul asbab. Adopting the correct means to accomplish the task. So for example, if you're going for the job interview, you're not just going to make dua and you're not just going to think best about Allah. You're going to do that. But along with that, you also have to adopt the proper means. You also have to rehearse. Right? You also have to kind of prepare as to what kind of questions you could possibly be asked so that you are ready. So these are four things which are all included in tawakkul. So we see over here in this hadith that the people of Yemen would say that we are mutawakkilun and they wouldn't go prepared. So was that actual tawakkul? How was it not tawakkul? Exactly. They did not do the fourth thing, which is fi'lul asbab. And when they didn't do it, an ayah was revealed that وَتَزَوَّدُوا فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ التَّقْوَى Adopting the means, this of course includes that you do things the right way. That you adopt the lawful means, you do things the correct way, and you do whatever that is within your capacity, whatever that is available to you. Like for example, if you have to write an exam, you're not going to prepare a cheat sheet. That's that's not fi'lul fir- asbab. This is like harming yourself because if you will do that, you're not going to get the help of Allah. Allah does not like khainin, the people who betray, the treacherous. Okay, so we learn over here that before going for hajj, we must prepare. So, and there are two things that we have to prepare. The, of course, the taqwa and then also the means, the provisions, transportation 
And remember that a person should use the best means available to them. Best means does not mean luxurious, but reliable and most efficient. In a hadith we learned that, and this hadith is not here, just for your interests, it's mentioned in Sahih Al-Targhib Al-Targhib, that there was a companion, Abu Sibar, and he bought a camel from another companion. And when he bought the camel and he started walking away with it, the other companion came running to him, that you bought this camel for me, but why are you taking this camel? Are you going to eat it or are you going to travel on it? He said that I intend to go for Hajj on this. So he said, give it back to me. He said, why? He said, yes, the camel looks very healthy, but it's not fit for the journey. This is not the right purchase then. You have to purchase a camel that is fit for the journey. So this shows us that we must adopt the best means available to us. Why? Because the focus of Hajj is ibadah. And so use whatever is within your means to make that possible in the best way. And we learned earlier that the Prophet ﷺ, when he went for Hajj, Hajj ala rahlin wa kanat zamilatahu. He went on a rahl and that was also his zamila. Meaning same camel was his ride and also for his luggage. So basically he had minimal luggage. So taking the means does not mean taking three suitcases per person. But what if we get sick and what if it's cold and what if we don't get to do laundry and what if our clothes, you know, get dirty three times a day. So take the entire closet and then you're just worried about your luggage over there. No, take minimal luggage. Why? So that your focus is on ibadah.